0: Notice with me Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. If you are joining us for the first time in a few weeks I've been on a series and I'm going to conclude that series today. And I would ask you to go back and listen to the messages that were given before the last uh, three Sundays. And I believe it will help you. And I would suggest you even go back online like to our YouTube channel or SoundCloud or uh, podcast and, and hear this message again when you're stuck in traffic in Demapur and you feel like saying words that are not sanctified if you had that podcast downloaded on your phone, you might find it's a time of blessing it can be traffic could be your quiet time with the Lord. Amen hallelujah I've been Back since October, uh, end of October, beginning of November. I haven't, I don't think I've been to town even once. Is there a town? There's still a town back there, right? (laughs) Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now the Bible tells me that Moses led the Israelites to the border of the promised land. But he was not permitted to take them into the promised land because of his own disobedience. But before he died, Moses saw from a distance all the land that God swore to give to their father Abraham while Moses was atop Mount Pisgah, which was actually opposite the city of Jericho. The reason I tell you that is Moses represents the law. His name is synonymous with the law. It's the law of Moses. You see, the law could not bring God's people into the promised land. It could not take them into a land of milk and honey. It was another who did that, namely Joshua, who is a type of Christ. See, the word Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Yeshua, Joshua. That's actually his name. His name in Hebrew is Joshua, you see. The law gave us a view or a foreshadowing of the good things to come. But Jesus is the only one who gives us the reality of those things and brings us into our inheritance. Can I get an amen? I said Moses couldn't enter because of disobedience. He faltered at a place called Meribah. Not Meribeni, but Meribah. <laughs> the, the people in their journey through the desert cried out for water. And God instructed Moses to stand before a huge rock and to take the rod of God, the same rod he used to part the Red Sea, and to strike that rock in Exodus 17 and verse 6. And water came from the rock. But sometime later, I think it was several years later, almost the same identical situation happened. They needed water again. And this time, God instructed Moses to stand before the rock and speak to it. You see, in Numbers chapter 20, verse eight. But out of frustration, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck it again. You know, when you're in position of leadership, sometimes it's easy to get frustrated. I personally don't know that, but uh, you know, maybe some of you can relate to that. And so he got fed up. And if you read the book of Numbers, you can understand Moses' frustration, you know, because, boy, these people just never fail to disappoint you. They're just really one tragedy after another, you see. Well, the water flowed, and the need was met the second time. But because Moses did not follow God's instructions explicitly, he was barred from entering the Promised Land. And it it seems like a real minor infraction, you know, like like no big deal. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't steal anything. He didn't tell a lie, nothing like that. So what's the big deal? I mean, who, who cares? What difference does it make? You know, as long as the need is met, who cares how it comes, right? Wrong. The Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, for they, the Israelites, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us, That rock which seemed to follow them wherever they went symbolizes or represented Christ. It's a type of Christ. So Moses the first time he struck that rock not with his hand or not with a stone but with the rod of God. The same rod that he used to bring judgment on the people of Egypt. Because that symbolized Christ's suffering For us he was judged in our stead in our place but Christ being raised from the dead will never die again he does not need to suffer a second time because he's already paid the price for us and so now the blessing of Christ is released by speaking words of faith But Moses, in his haste, ruined the picture God wanted to portray to the Israelites. So that means it must have been pretty important to God that this has followed through, or listening to me. And here's another interesting little point. Meribah, the place where Moses stumbled, in Hebrew means quarreling and strife. strife, division, uh, 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 contention can keep you out of God's best blessings. It's real quiet in this Holy Ghost Church. I said it can keep you out of God's best blessings. Can you say amen to that? Now, I wanna get to something. Joshua led the people of Israel into Canaan And the first city they took was Jericho. That was the city that was in the direct line of sight from where Moses had stood before on the mountaintop. And the defenses of the enemy were crushed because the Israelites followed God's spiritual battle plan. He didn't just say, okay, boys, go get them. He gave them a detailed plan. March around the city seven times, silently. Seven days, seven days, silently. The seventh day, shout. Whew. It seems like a completely ludicrous idea. There's no military commander in the world that would suggest this as a a, a strategy for overcoming a city. But it worked and the walls came down. Hallelujah. Here's my point. Even though Christ has already purchased for us every blessing that heaven has to give. He purchased it with his blood. The Holy Spirit will give you a strategy for possessing each part of your inheritance. See, the land was their inheritance. God says, I've given it to you. He said concerning Jericho, it's yours. But then he gave them a strategy, a plan. And like the children of Israel, instead of Instead of mournfully begging God to remove the obstacles, God, take down the walls. Oh, God, there's so many walls. They're so high. Or instead of complaining about the problem incessantly, it's interesting, God told them, as you march for seven days, once around, silence, not a word. That itself is a bigger miracle than the walls coming down. Why do you suppose God told them to be silent? Well He's he's seen them for 40 years. He knows how they can talk. Some people are going to talk themselves right out of the miracle through their complaining, hmm, through their negative talk. And we would be wise very often to be tight-lipped, be careful what we say. And instead of just giving petitions we should offer praise they shouted triumphantly in the victory that God already gave them. Hallelujah. Anybody can shout after the walls come down, but faith shouts while they're still standing up. Can I get an amen? Amen. Then, after that, Joshua led them to a place called Ai. Not Al, Ai. Which was actually a much smaller place than Jericho and so the Israelites were not overly concerned about it it wasn't such a huge deal to them but to their shock and amazement they were routed at Ai they were soundly defeated at Ai you see often after winning a great victory you know you, 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 you know, you received a huge answer to prayer. You had a, a big breakthrough in your life from the Lord. Often after winning a great victory, people have a tendency to become a bit complacent. They become lax. See, I, I have seen many people, including my own father, who were healed by God and praise the Lord, wonderful, 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 and then they stopped doing all the things that got their miracle in the first place. They weren't very diligent, you know, in studying, feeding on God's word. They were kind of casual about you know, their prayer life. They kind of just went back to the business as usual routine, and the sickness came back. Know this: the enemy will always counterattack. Just like when the when the Israelites came out of Egypt, okay, woo, we're free, Passover, glory. But then Pharaoh had another thought, and he sent his chariots after them one more time. See, the devil will always counterattack. So that's why it's important to keep on doing the things that got you to this place where you are now. See, so you, 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 you can't rest on your laurels. You, you can't coast. Some people are, honestly, some Christians are coasting on yesterday's momentum. And when you talk to them, they fondly remember You know, 1999, they fondly remember, they recall the golden year of 2003 or something like that. See, that tells you that they're not pressing forward today. They're just relying on yesterday. You see, it's not the Jerichos that defeat us. It's the AIs. It's the small foxes that spoil the vine. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? Praise the Lord. Amen. And so we need to hear from God. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need to trust Him with each new challenge that comes our way. Instead of thinking of your life as full of problems, see each problem as a city in the promised land that God wants you to take. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I need a break just to recover from that. It's so overwhelming. Uh, Can I have some water? All right, are you here today? I said, are you excited about God's word? No, I said, are you excited about God's word today? See, what happened is back in Jericho, wonderful, wonderful shout, the walls came down, woo, glory, but back in Jericho, there was a guy named Achan. I wonder if Achan is here today. There's a guy named Achan. And he took some of the spoils, you know, the things that were left over in Jericho, the good things, some gold, some garments, and he hid them in his tent. Just one guy. He he took into his possession something that was devoted to the Lord. You need to know what you're supposed to keep and you need to know what you're supposed to let go of. You need to know what you're supposed to hold on to and what you're supposed to give to God. And he held on to that. In fact, it was devoted to destruction. And actually in the Hebrew, it says it was holy. Holy things are not common. Holy things are things you have to be careful about. You don't touch holy things. It's interesting that God told the Israelites, for the tithe is holy. Don't touch it. That's, that's devoted to him. We already took up the offering, so just you know, take a deep breath and smile, okay? Amen. So what that tells me is this. One man's sin adversely affected the whole congregation. You see, sometimes people think like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do. I mean, I'm not on the platform. You know? I'm not under the lights. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of in the crowd. But that's not true, this was just one guy. But his disobedience had a negative impact on the rest of the people, amen? Thank you for your enthusiasm again, hallelujah. Let me move on. Thinking, what on earth is he telling us this for? You'll see in just a moment, I hope. Then after Ai, Joshua, who by the way is a type of Christ, he instructed the Levites to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. And they set it down in the Promised Land in a place between two mountains, Gerizim and Ebal, two mountains, Gerizim, and Ebal six of the tribes of Israel stood in front of Gehazim they divided six of the tribes of Israel stood in front of Ebal then Joshua read aloud the entire law of Moses the whole thing that, that took some time He read the entire, word for word, the law of Moses. Now, the Talmud is an ancient Jewish commentary. So, you know, you don't have to accept this. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not exactly true. I'm not sure. But the Talmud says that as Joshua read the positive commands of God, promising blessing, the Levites turned to Mount Gerizim And the people at Mount Gerizim said, amen, amen. But when they read a negative uh, command, a prohibition, do not do this, if you do this, you'll be cursed, then they turned to Mount Ebal, and all the people standing in front of Mount Ebal said, amen, amen, you see. And according to tradition, Gerizim was a lush, a mountain full of vegetation, you see, because it was a type of the blessing. And across the valley, Ebal was a barren, rocky mountain with no life because it represented the curse, you see. And the law was read in between both mountains. Because that represents the choice, the decision. See, in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 15, God said, See, I have set before you today, Deuteronomy 30, 15, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. Gearsim. Or Ebal. See, in other words, what God was telling them is you're not blessed today because of a choice that I have made for you. You're blessed because of the choice you have made. The blessing is not your destiny, it is your decision that has changed your direction. Are you out there today? See, some people say, well, I'm just a born loser. No, you got born, then you started losing, but you're not a born loser. He said, it's your choice. I have given you the choice. You can go to Geerzim, or you can go to Ebal. Amen? And then finally, after they read all of the law, in that place, right there, according to Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26, they said, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them." Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26, you see. And the interesting thing is this verse is the very verse that the Apostle Paul quotes in the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. Now see, here's the thing. The law did not say this. Listen carefully. The law did not say, if you do something good, you'll get a blessing. But then if you do something bad, you'll get a curse. That's not what it says. See, God, doesn't, God was telling them he doesn't operate on a points system. And that's how some people, even some Christians, think. He doesn't operate on a points system. Like, you do a good deed, you get three points. Uh-oh, you did a bad deed minus seven like okay I helped a little old lady cross the street whoo I got I got three points Woo-hoo-hoo! but then I later told a lie <sighs> so I had to go back outside and find some more little old ladies to help across the street to get some more points it doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way that's not what he told them he said if you keep all of the law every command then you'll be blessed But if you do not keep every command, then you'll be cursed. So those who rely on the law are required to keep every commandment of God. Therefore, those who are under the law are cursed. Why? Because all of us have sinned. All of us have failed, fallen short. All of us have broken one of God's commands. More than one, actually. Right? Mm. If you break one law in the state of Nagaland, the police could arrest you and put you in jail. You don't have to break 26 laws. One, One will work. Just one. Likewise, if you break one of God's laws, you are a spiritual criminal. And it doesn't matter how many old ladies you helped across the street. And therefore, you deserve God's punishment. So the law promised us Geirzim. But in the end, it only gave us Ebal. Are you out there today? So Deuteronomy chapter 28 lists specifically the curse of the law for example and we don't have time to read all of this it makes it makes for rather gloomy reading but in verse 16 to 19 see god said if you don't keep every commandment if you don't follow all my instructions if you don't do all of this law these curses will come on you verse 16 says cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl cursed shall be the fruit of your womb, that would be your children, and the fruit of your ground, that would be your farm, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. So in other words, the curse was not fixed to a geographical location. It didn't depend on where you were, because it's a spiritual condition. Likewise, we see some people who are always trying to run away from their problems and they never realize that they are the problem. See? And everywhere you go, you take you with you. Amen? Hallelujah. So the curse brought failure and poverty. That's what's described in those words, failure and poverty. It's interesting that some Christians seem to think that lack is a blessing. Oh, what a blessing. Ooh, I'm so blessed to be poor. I don't have any money now, and I, I don't have all the stress for having money. You've watched too many Hindi films. That has nothing to do with the Bible. God did not call poverty a blessing. He called it a curse. I didn't say it's a sin to be poor, but it's definitely not a blessing. Uh, sound men please turn their volume up I can barely hear them when they mutter amen some of them are practicing ventriloquism right now but please turn their volume up can I get an amen? amen the curse included sickness and disease notice in verse 21 the contemporary English version says this the Lord will send terrible diseases to attack you Ooh. and you will never be well again You will suffer with burning fever and swelling and pain until you die. That's the curse. That's not good. Then in verse 27, the Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt. Boils are a curse. And with tumors and scab and itch, even the itch is a curse. Of which you cannot be healed. In fact, every illness, every medical condition, even those that were not specifically mentioned in Deuteronomy 28, every disease is part of the curse, the curse of the law. And then in verse 28, Deuteronomy 28 and verse 28, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. The curse of the law includes mental breakdowns, even confusion. Some people are always confused, like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. I just, I don't know where to go. That's part of the curse of the law. Hmm? See? And he he said that their days would be filled with dread and anguish. See, there's some people, the sun can be shining, the birds are singing, everybody in the house is happy, but they're still just in turmoil inside. They, at night, they can't sleep. In the daytime, they can't stay awake. And, and the day, they say, I wish it was night. At night, they say, I wish it was day. That's the curse of the law. Then in verse 38, you shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little. In other words, a small harvest, for the locusts will consume it. The curse means that nothing you do Will succeed in spite of your best efforts forces beyond your control will thwart them things you did not even imagine happening that you could not foresee will come in and bring ruin to your endeavors that's the curse that's the curse of the law in fact God went on to say because of their disobedience they would be the nation of Israel they would be besieged You know, besieged means like enemies would surround your city and you would be starved, defeated, and then taken captive as exiles into a foreign land. And, of course, if you read the Bible, that's exactly what happened to them. That's exactly. The northern kingdom was taken captive into Syria. They don't exist anymore. They are no longer in existence. The southern kingdom of Judah was also taken captive, but God in his mercy, like a remnant, brought them back. That's why we call the Israelites today Jews from Judah, because there is no other tribe, not in any numbers at least. Are you out there today? Now, I have to say something here. These verses describing the curse say, the Lord will bring this on you. The Lord will command this to happen to you. But I want to tell you something, that in the Hebrew language, and these words are written originally in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, what sounds like uh, 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 an act of commission is very often an act of permission. That the meaning here is not so much that God is going to make this happen or do it to you, but he would allow it to happen, that he would remove his hand of protection from you. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but God in his mercy even protects sinners. I said God in his mercy even protects sinners. You see, if God was to remove his hand of protection off of their lives, Satan would kill every one of them and they'd go straight to hell. They have no opportunity to be saved. he, He is merciful even to the unjust. Are you out there today? Praise the Lord. So, the curse of the law is the penalty for breaking God's law. It is not the eternal punishment because that would be going to hell. And in Deuteronomy 28, interestingly enough, he doesn't mention that. So you'd think he would say, you know, all these bad things will happen and you'll go to hell. He doesn't say that. The curse of the law is a punishment experienced in this life. You're listening to me? Hmm? Now, breaking the law is sin. Breaking the law is sin. That's the very definition of sin. So we could call all of this The curse of sin. See, the law itself is not cursed. It's good, it's holy, it's right. The Bible says so. And there's no curse in keeping the law. The curse is in disobeying the law. So it's actually the curse of sin. But don't go home. This is the best part. Here's the good news. Are you ready? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. No, no, you did not hear me, church. I said Christ has. He's not going to do it. He's already done it. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Yes. Now we read it. That's our first scripture. Hallelujah! He redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. The word redeem in Greek means to buy back. Repurchase. To recover something that was lost by paying a price. The word redeem also means to purchase someone's freedom. Christ didn't just suffer. He he was not a martyr. He was a substitute. He purchased your freedom. Hallelujah. Amen. So that means not only are we forgiven of sin, praise God, thank God. We're also free from the penalty of sin as well as the eternal punishment of sin. Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law. I said Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law hallelujah Christ redeemed you from the curse of the law amen so that means Christ redeemed you from sickness that means Christ redeemed you from poverty that means Christ redeemed you from confusion and madness and fear and failure Christ redeemed you from all of that those who are under the law are under a curse But Christ brought us out from under the law. Now we stand before God by grace and we're not cursed, we're blessed. Can I get an amen? I I really really need something a little better than that right now. Can can I get an amen? Help your pastor out this morning, amen? Christ, say it with me, Christ Christ redeemed redeemed me from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. But how did he do it? Go back to Galatians 3.13. By becoming a curse for us. Hmm. Hmm. By becoming a curse for us. Now how did that happen? Jesus never sinned. He never broke even one of God's commands. He said in John chapter 8, verse 29, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. So that means Jesus was not cursed. He was blessed. He was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So that means according to the law He was blessed. That means He was provided for. He never experienced lack. Contrary to popular opinion, he was not a beggar. In fact, he produced wealth for others, filled nets with fish. He supported 12 grown men and their families. He was even able to pay the temple tax. Go catch a fish, there'll be a coin in there. He he supernaturally created wealth for people. He was always divinely protected. Sometimes they tried to kill him, but they couldn't do it because his time had not yet come. Hallelujah. The the Bible says everything you put your hand to will be blessed. Well, he's definitely in the blessing. That's why when he laid his hands on people, they were blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) Glory to God. However, that does not mean he never experienced hardships because he did. That does not mean he never faced persecution because he did. That does not mean he never encountered temptation. He did not enter into temptation, but he certainly encountered temptation. See, blessed does not mean your life is a Barbie movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, this is fantasy like la, la 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 like you're some kind of cartoon or something like that some kind of christian enemy type situation here where you know the everything's like hello barbie hi ken that that's not reality that's not what it means to be blessed It means that God is with you in trouble. You will experience trouble, but God will be with you in the storms of life. Hallelujah. It means that his hand will guide you through the tough and rough places. It means his strength will cause you to rebound even when you experience disappointment. Hallelujah. It means that his grace is sufficient for you. That's what it means to be blessed. What does it mean? It means you live a life like Christ. It doesn't mean everybody will love you because not everybody loved Christ. Jesus said if they hate me they're going to hate you. If they mistreat the master they're certainly going to mistreat the servant. So it doesn't mean that some people are more interested in public opinion. Some people are more concerned about how they look in the eyes of society. I'm more concerned about how I look in the eyes of God because, you know, society didn't die for me. Society is not my blesser. The Lord is my blesser and he's the one that I desire to please. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus became a curse for us on the cross. Galatians 3.13 goes on to say, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That means Jesus not only suffered physically, he also suffered spiritually. Naturally, the the, the grueling torment of crucifixion is horrid. It's, It's almost unthinkable but there's something else going on in the realm of the spirit that you don't see. You see, he was rejected so that you could be accepted. He was condemned so that you can be made righteous. Hallelujah, amen. He bore our infirmities so that you could be healed. Glory to God, amen. Glory to God, hallelujah, amen. He became poor so that we might become rich. That's what the Bible says. He went to hell to take you to heaven. He died to give you life. He was cursed so that you could be blessed. This is the blessed life. I said this is the blessed life. That means the favor of God, the ability of God, the strength of God, the hand of God in you, on your life, working for you. That should be evident in everything we do. Anybody here today? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Notice Galatians 3 verse 14. So that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. (laughs) So that, in other words, why did he go to the cross? Why did he suffer like that? So that, not the curse, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So this destroys that theory. That's just for the Jews. That's not for us, no so that the blessing might come to the Gentiles. That means everyone who believes. I said everyone who believes, amen. (laughs) And the New King James Version, they don't have it on the screen, but the New King James Version says it this way, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. God wants something good to come upon you. It's not just what's coming out of you, It's what's coming on you. We are people who are highly favored of God. Can I get an amen? And the blessing of Abraham, among other things, must include financial increase. It has to because God blessed Abraham that way. In Genesis 24 and verse 35 Abraham's own servant this is someone in his household this is someone that works for Abraham this is someone who who rubs shoulders with Abraham every day someone who sees what's going on behind the scenes this is what the servant said the Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great He has given him, the Lord has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. The blessing will make you great. I said the blessing will make you great. Not just in the sight of of God, but even in the eyes of men. God wants everybody in this room to become great. Great. He's a great God and he can do great things for you if you'll let him. Hallelujah. Hmm. Now, think about this for a second. You, maybe you skip over this verse and you don't really uh, uh, consider what it means. Abraham was primarily a herdsman. So he wasn't a shopkeeper. You know, he, he wasn't running like you know, he didn't have a factory or something like that. He, and he wasn't a farmer. He was a herdsman. So sheep and goats... Like, I don't really want any goats in my compound. But for Abraham, that's as good as money. That's as good as money, you see. So in other words, he has a big inventory. Right, you go to some shops, and I like a gel pen, and they have just one. The the shelves are barren. Just one gel pen. I'd like to buy a shirt. We only have one shirt. It's not your size. But he had a full inventory of sheep and goats. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, when you hear about, the Lord has blessed him with camels and donkeys, I read that, I don't get too excited about camels and donkeys. Nobody here said, Lord, give me more camels. Lord, I multiply and bless my donkeys. You know, you, you can't drink donkey milk. Nobody eats a camel sandwich. I mean, you, what was the point of that? I, I read that and I go, so what? Who cares? But you see, the thing is, think about it. Abraham Also, besides being a herdsman, he traded in commerce. That's what you use camels and donkeys for, for transporting your goods, your merchandise, over long stretches of of, of, of time, over long places. Think about this, this servant that's speaking was sent to find a wife for Isaac, why? Because he's used to traveling long distances with camels full of merchandise and then making deals. And that's exactly what he did to get Rebecca. Whew. See, if you're blessed, God will get you Rebecca. All the single men said amen. amen. Whoo, hallelujah, amen. So it would be like Abraham had a fleet of trucks. He had a compound full of tatas. Now we're talking Nagaland. Hallelujah. Okay, now I got you. I got you. That's what that means. That's what that means. Amen. Now, now, i got to wrap this up. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did we transition from the law to the cross? It seems like they're, they're not connected, you see. God did not say, hey, I made a mistake, so forget that, I'm gonna try something different now. That's not what happened. The law of Moses, bear with me just a second, the law of Moses primarily consisted of two components, two. First, there was a code of conduct, rules for living to please God. You can't do this, you can't do this, you must do this, you must do that. Secondly, the law established a system of sacrifices that were offered to make atonement for those who broke the law. Are you listening to me? Amen. So the law revealed the way you're supposed to live and then what you do when you haven't lived that way. And Jesus came and said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The word abolish in Greek means to destroy, to dissolve. Jesus did not take the law and say, ah, this thing is is wrong, this is all wrong, and he just tossed it in the trash can. That's not... What happened? In the contemporary English version, it says this, Matthew five seventeen, I did not come to do away with them, the law and the prophets, but to give them their full meaning. To give them their full meaning. You see, he fulfilled every requirement of the law by living a perfect life without sin. And then, He became the perfect sacrifice, thus replacing all the other offerings that were offered under the law. The rules were imperfect because of the sinful nature of man. The sacrifices were imperfect because they only covered sin, but they could not actually remove sin from the heart but by the blood of Jesus our hearts are cleansed from sin not covered but washed away and our inward nature is changed hallelujah hallelujah it's interesting they stood in between two mountains Girzim, Ebal. joshua read the law the people said amen amen but before he even uttered one word from the law, the Bible says he offered a sacrifice for sin, and he did it on Mount Ebal. Why? Because Christ was cursed for us, so that you could be blessed. He became Ebal, so that you could be him. You understand what I'm trying to say to you today? Hallelujah. Again, Galatians 3.14, Christ redeemed us. I gotta wrap this up. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that the blessing of Abraham might come or come upon the Gentiles. Notice the words, might come. That's the English Standard Version. So that the blessing might come. The cross made the blessing of God, the blessing of Abraham, a legal possibility. Your faith makes it a living reality. See Christ has already redeemed you from the curse of the law. So where are the blessings? You see you need to go and stand before the rock and speak to it. You need to stand before the rock and speak words of faith and it will release its water to you. The blessings of Christ are released by faith. So our scripture says in Galatians 3 verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham. The man of faith. If you want the blessing of Abraham, you'll have to be a man of faith like Abraham. Yes. Hallelujah. In other words, the blessing of Abraham is activated in our life by words. Amen. By words. Instead of saying, I don't know why everybody's against me. I don't understand how come everything I do is a failure. just seems like nothing works out for me. Those are the wrong words. You're walking around Jericho, but you got your mouth open. Instead of just grumbling and complaining, I don't know why this happened to me. And we've all been there. I've been there. Maybe you haven't. You look like you've been there quite a bit, but I don't know. But I've been there. Instead of that, start praising God. Praise Him for the victory that is already yours. When you feel sick, symptoms come, Shout. I don't mean shout at your wife, I mean shout unto the Lord, hallelujah, <laughs> amen. When you, when you have a, a, a stack of debt and the bill collectors are knocking on your door, begin to praise God. He is my provider, he is my El Shaddai. When the creditors call, tell them, You know that Galatians 3, chapter 13 says, Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law and the blessing of Abraham is on my life. Hallelujah. They may not agree, but you need to say it. Hallelujah. You need to speak words of life. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. In other words, you've been living in the wilderness. You came out of Egypt, but you haven't gone into the promised land. I don't just mean heaven, yeah, that, that's true, but I'm not talking about that. The blessing and the curse is for this life. You're on the border because you think, I'm not good enough, I need to try harder. No, that's the law, you'll never get in that way. It's, it's through Yeshua. It's through, through the blood of Christ, the sacrifice, hallelujah. And now you, you gotta take each city, each city. My life is a mess. God didn't give them the whole land in one fell swoop. They took it step by step. Jericho. AI. Next town. Next town. Next place. See, you are now the Joshua generation, and you are recovering all that was lost. You are taking possession of your inheritance, and you do that by having the spiritual battle plan from God for every challenge that you face, for every obstacle that comes your way. You know, you'll have a a, lead from, a leading from the Lord, I just want you to praise me right now. I just want you to spend some time just praise me. Or maybe you'll say, I need you to just feed upon my word, just meditate on my word. I want you to start saying these words over your situation. God will give you the steps. He will direct you in the way that you should go. Can you stand with me to your feet today? And can we give God praise in this house? You have lived on Ebal for too long. It's time for you to go to Mount Geerzim.